things right away to get right off the bat because some people they give us feedback and they said we don't want to get onto the stream and wait we want to hear talking right away so we'll give them what they want since they asked there was a guy who once asked me he said how do you get uh all these people to do things for you right so before I could answer, the president of our masjid, he said, because he asks, right? Asking is half the battle, right? And uh, the Christians always say something that, I mean, we, we don't need to quote the Christians. We say that uh, we have verses Allah teaches us to ask, but the Christians always say, ask and you shall receive. It's an ayah about da'wah. But it's also an ayah about when you... Uh, you Sometimes when, you're, when you want something from Allah, you have to seek it from humans too. There's asbab. You have to do it. So people asked. And the more people ask, you never know when someone's just going to oblige. Bid'ah. This is something very good for everybody to know. Bid'ah, as I'm going to share with you, as has been taught to me from many different teachers, including just, I just reviewed this with Sheikh Mahmoud Shabib of Egypt. Bid'ah is categorized into two. There are two main categories for Bid'ah. Bid'ah is an innovation. And this is something the Prophet warned against. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ told us that he gave us this deen, don't add and don't subtract. Just take it as it is. However, we find in the books that bid'ah is of different types. So which one is it that the Messenger ﷺ has warned us against gravely? Okay, so Prophet ﷺ warned us against bid'ah and yet we see his inheritors telling us the bid'ah is of asnaf, categories and types. So which one is the one the Prophet ﷺ warned us against and why are there categories and types? So, the first category is, we're going to go from the worst to the least, is the bid'ah in aqidah. And the bid'ah in aqidah is of three categories. Breaks down into three. Like if you have notes, you make Roman numeral one and then you put A, B, and C. So the, we're going to take it from worst to least. So Roman numeral 1a, bid'ah mukaffira. Bid'ah mukaffira is any belief that contradicts a text of Quran and Hadith. That is, meaning, it is not, it, the text is, the terminology in the text is crystal clear only allowing one possible meaning. Can, is, there's no, uh, not up for interpretation. 
Allah is one. Muhammad is the last prophet. Is there interpretation in that? No. The language is crystal clear. And it is mutawatir al-riwayah. Qatiyat dalala mutawatir al-riwayah. The riwayah is so far spread wide that it is impossible to be a Muslim without knowing this. We also call this al-malumina din bil-darura. Known in religion by necessity. And the person who observes this kind of bid'ah, al-bid'ah al-mukaffirah, Yet says, no, I'm a Muslim, but I do this. We call him a zindiq. What's the example? A Muslim that says that salah is not obligatory. A Muslim that says that I can, it's halal to drink. Or halal to commit zina. Or halal to commit liwat. Or that there's another prophet after the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bid'a mukaffirah. Okay. Roman numeral one, B. So... Roman numeral one, remember, is the bid'ah of aqidah. B. That belief which contradicts a text of Quran and Hadith that is qat'i ad-dalala, but is not mutawatir. Namely, the text is not up for interpretation, and yet it's not so widespread. This person is al-mubtada'ah, and that is called a bid'ah al-mufassiqah. It is a bid'ah al-mufassiqah. And the bid'ah al-mufassiqah, it renders that person to be called a bid'i or a fasiq or a mubtada. All those terms essentially the same. All right, bid'ah, fasiq, mubtada, bid'i. Okay. And this, ta- this is where you get the sects from. Yeah, Shiism, all these sects, okay, uh, that they went against a text that is crystal clear. Even if it's not far and widespread. All right? Likewise, those who said, for example, that the Isra and Mi'raj did not happen in, in the body, the Mi'raj, sorry, did not happen in the bodily form. That type of thing. So, what is the ruling about such a person? The Zindiq, of course, is, has no rights. We, but the Bid'i in the Muqtada is the person who his, he is a Muslim. Yet, as the Prophet ﷺ said, his deeds, this is a, s- a sound hadith, his deeds are not accepted until he corrects his belief. I was just pulling up right now the actual uh, narration of that hadith, his, the actual narration of that hadith, that his deeds are not accepted until, subhanAllah, maybe it's here. His deeds are not accepted until he corrects his belief. Okay. Now, that person is a Muslim. They may go to Mecca. They may go to Medina. They will be buried as a Muslim. However, their testimony is not valid. Neither in, mar- in matters of religion. Their testimony is not valid. In matters of like crimes, religion, anything. That's the second category. Now, Roman numeral 1c. The belief that contradicts the the zahir and nas. What is zahir and nas? When there is a verse now that can be interpreted, so it's not qat'i anymore. The verse can be interpreted, and there is an ijma that the correct interpretation is the apparent interpretation. Yet this person follows another interpretation, right? And he goes against that apparent interpretation. And that is 
So he goes against the ijma' of the Muslims, on an, and ijma' is always on an interpretation, right? We don't have a concept where ijma' can, can create a new law, right? No, ijma' is always on an interpretation. So there's a consensus on the meaning of this, yet he goes against that. And that is called a bid'ah khafifa, a light bid'ah. What is the difference? Well, there's a big difference. That person, their deeds and their ibadah and their good deeds do count for them. And their testimony may be accepted except when it supports their innovation. So it will not, be, will not accept it from the, uh, their, their testimony on anything that supports their innovation. And on top of that, their deeds do count. Right? And they are from Ahl-Sunnah. Uh, but they, they have this kind of bid'ah. Okay, so that is al bid'ah al khafifa, the the parting from the ijma' of ahl sunnah. Now let's turn to Roman numeral two. Bid'ah in acts of worship. Okay, bid'ah in acts of worship is, as al Aziz ibn Abdul Salam said, on five categories, and it's essentially where what the action entails. If it entails something sinful, then it's sinful. Okay? And it's a bid'ah here being a description that it's a new matter. So it could be something that uh, doesn't necessarily have to do with an act of worship. For example, if we were to innovate some idea where we were to, um, to dance at a funeral or scream at funerals. We know the Prophet forbade that. But someone innovated that meaning he introduced it to the community and gave it life when yeah we all knew that this was haram but we never did it right but he introduced it wailing and screaming okay or types of dancing in weddings which would be haram for men to do for example dancing that would mimic women's dancing or mixed things so that mixed gendered uh dancing at weddings for example so uh it's an innovation in the sense that we weren't doing this, you introduced it. So you introduced something sinful, so that would be considered sinful. If it's in an act of worship, leaving off an obligation on purpose, or doing something that, um, we should, that uh, uh, shouldn't be done in salah, on purpose, so that would be sinful. If it's makru, it's makru. If it's permitted, it's permitted. Right? Uh, it may be something that nobody did before, but you did it. Like what? In our communities, starting tarawih from Surah Al-Baqarah to Nas and finishing on the last, at the end of Ramadan with Nas. It's permitted. You may even argue it's mandub because it finishes the whole Quran and everyone gets to hear the entire Quran. So, Izz ibn Abd al gave those five categories. And a bid'ah can be obligatory too. So, for example, using microphones for the, everyone to hear. How are the people going to pray, for example, in Al-Haram, Al-Makki? And then Madani and all these massive, huge masajid. How are they going to follow the Imam? Okay, so it can even be obligatory. So you see, that's eight total types of innovations, and we have mentioned the rulings for each one, right? So that is a really useful breakdown to have in your mind. So again, Roman numeral one is bid'ah in aqidah, and that is al bid'ah al mufassiqa, al mukaffira, wal mufassiqa, wal khafifa. Bid'ah khafifa is on, is on a text that can be interpreted. 
and the person left the interpretation upon which there is ijma' and went to an, another interpretation that's near. But if he goes to an interpretation that's far away, then no, it's mufassiqah. And he's a mubtada outside of Ahlul Sunnah. So that's the important understanding uh, to distinguish bid'ah khafifa is that it's not just he left the ijma' of an interpretation, okay? And remember, ijma' is always on interpretation. But he uh, uh, he went he he's, he stayed nearby. He didn't go too far off. If he went way off, then that in that case, um, it's a type of bid'ah that is uh, khafifa. And he's within Ahlul Sunnah. His good deeds count. His testimony counts in everything except that innovation. All right. So, uh, any questions on that before we go to our topic today? Because that was that was important, right? That was very important uh, to mention. And knowledge is by reviewing things all the time, right? It's by reviewing things all the time. And here. It was important for us to review that. And it came basically from a, uh, uh, I guess it was a polite debate. It was a nice debate. I don't even know who I was debating. I was debating a screen name essentially yesterday and uh, on one of these platforms. And he asked me, you know, if a certain type of person came to testify for a, a nikah, uh, would, that, would you accept their testimony if they were from a, an innovative sect? So the answer to that is if their innovation is on something qat'i or far from the ijma', then no. If their innovation is on something with a ta'wil qareeb on an ijma', uh, that something that is not qat'i, then yes. However, he misunderstood the Maliki Madhab in the first place because in the Maliki Madhab, uh, oh, a, a wedding can be contracted, contracted, without witnesses, and it's valid. But he can, the, the, they cannot consummate, which means they cannot enter into privacy together without i'lan, not just two witnesses, i'lan, publicly stating it. So in that case, when you publicly state something, the individual rank of each person it becomes irrelevant, right? However people announce things, right? Sending it to a massive WhatsApp group, putting it on the internet, saying in front of everyone in the masjid, hey, guess what? We just got married. We're married. Okay. After Aisha, in which there are so many people, it doesn't really make a difference who's what, because there's so many people that there will be the uh, righteous or the, the uh, upright witnesses there. And that's where when you understand testimony, the, the larger the group, the less you have to investigate each person in the group. Right? You don't have to investigate at all when you make a massively public claim because it now becomes impossible for everyone to come together for a lie. That's the idea. All right, let's take questions on Bidah before we move on to the Shema. That's a, that's a basic summary. Oh, the mic again? That's good. Did they hear everything I said about Bidah, essentially? Good, good. Yeah. The mi'raj is disagreed upon. No, we don't accept that. We don't accept that. 
The person who denies Mi'raj in its physical form, and the person who denies the person who denies Isra, Isra in the physical form, that is bid'ah mukaffira, because it's in the Quran. And the one who denies the Mi'raj in its physical form, that is bid'ah mufassiqa. The first one we said is mukaffira because it's from the Quran. It's in the Quran. Subhanallah, asra bi abdihi. There is no interpreting asra. He went. He took him physically by night. That's what physically moving by night. That's the meaning of al isra. As for the ahadith in mi'raj, the one who denies that the Prophet ﷺ physically went with his body, that's a bit mufassiqa because the hadith on that are qat'i. They cannot be interpreted away. Is it bid'ah for a woman to remove face from her hair or from her eyebrows? And the answer to that is that the madhahib differed on that. And the Shafi'iyah held that she can do it after marriage. The Madikiyah held that she can do it without, and she's outside of ihdad, the ihdad period of time. And the Hanafis also said after marriage. And the, the main reason, and they, all, and they permitted it, I'm sure, I'm, I, I can't speak for the Hamadis and the Shafis on this, but I know the Madikis and Hanafis permitted it if she looks like a male at any time, right? But the, uh, if it is shaped very much, then it's Zina and it has to be covered, actually. If it's shaped very much, then it's like Zina. It's almost a version of makeup. But if it's just removed, that which makes a person look masculine, right, then that... Um, is permitted and again the Malikiyah said outside of Ihdad and the Ahnaf and the Shafi'iyah said after marriage and the, and as we were saying the, the crux of that is that it doesn't become um, almost like a type of Ghish Ghish is misrepresenting yourself so you represent yourself as something you're not right and that's where why everything that has to do with hairs Right uh, for for women, it's permitted only after the man has already married her, as is. Right now, a woman her hair falls out. This is the type of loss of what Allah created her with. She can she she can get a hair transplant. She doesn't have to tell her husband either. Right, so there are ways that you could get a hair transplant. They take take hairs from you and they put them where the patch is or where the hair loss is. And that is something she doesn't have to say to her husband. And uh, she may do that. What about denying seeing Allah in the afterlife? It depends on... Um, okay, firstly, Aziza Zawatar says, What is bid'ah khafifa? مسألة في العقيدة غير قطعية نص it's a text from Quran and hadith that is not قطعي قطعي means it has one meaning it cannot be interpreted no تأويل no تفسير no, no اختلاف possible that's what قطعي is so a matter of عقيدة that is not قطعي it can be interpreted however the إجماع المسلمين of the ulama is on Zahir and Nas. Zahir and Nas means as the text is. No interpretation to it. So, but this person leaves the ijma' of the Muslims and goes into a ta'wil. Okay. 
That's called bid'ah khafifa. What's a bid'ah khafifa? An example of bid'ah khafifa is to say all of the Sahaba have different virtues, but there is no Sahabi who is more virtuous than the other in general. Like there, we don't say who's superior to who, who's more most more virtuous than who. He was, yes, Abu Bakr has this virtue. Omar has this virtue. Uthman has this virtue. Sayyidina Ali has this virtue. Sayyidina Abu Dhar has this virtue. Sayyidina Mu'adh has this virtue. But I will not say who is the most virtuous. That would be bid'ah khafifa. Why? Because there's ijma' of the Muslims based on many, many ahadith that Sayyidina Abu Bakr is Sayyid, he's the, he's the most virtuous of the Sahaba. Including a hadith that states that uh, the, 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 the sun has not risen or the sky has not come upon anyone more uh, uh, virtuous after the prophets than Abu Bakr. So, so there are many reasons for the scholars taking that ijma'ah. Right, or, or coming upon uh, uh, to that ijma' that Sayyidina Abu Bakr is of the Sahaba. There's reasons for it. And there's ijma' for Ahl Sunnah upon that. But this person says, no, 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 I don't want to, I feel bad to say who's better than who. So therefore, I will refrain. I will refrain. But I will con- concede. In, in this matter, Sayyidina Abu Bakr is most virtuous. In this matter, because the Prophet did say that. Prophet said, in Abu Bakr is... Iman would outweigh every, the whole ummah. Sayyidina Umar, if there's a prophet after me, it would be Sayyidina Umar. Uh, if I had ten daughters, I would marry them all to Uthman. Nothing that Uthman does after today will harm him. Uh, the best, most knowledgeable in halal and haram is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. The most knowledgeable in inheritance is Zayd. So he affirms that. All of that. But he refuses to say what the ijma' al-Muslimin is upon, that Sayyidina Abu Bakr is afdal al-Sahaba, then thumma Umar, thumma Uthman, thumma Ali. That type of, that would be considered an example of bid'ah khafifa. Because how did the scholars get to that conclusion? Bil ijtihad. Not bil nas al qat'i. Bil ijtihad. So he went against ijma' ahl sunnah. So that would be an example of al bid'ah al khafifa. So what do we say about this person? He's a, he's a Muslim, ahl sunnah. And his good deeds count for him, and his testimony is accepted, except in his bid'ah, uh, and that he's just erroneous and he's sinful in that position that he took. That's all we say about that. If someone denies seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the akhirah, okay, we have to ask that how do you, you cannot deny that. No, that's, you cannot, that's bid'ah mufassiqah. Mufassiqa, because the evidence for that is qat'i. Yeah. What's that? It, uh, and, and if, and it's in the, it's, you're contradicting the Quran as well. Yeah. But if the person is saying that, yes, it's mukaffira, because it's in the Quran. But if the person is saying, no, no I, we will see Allah, but in a certain way, in a certain other way. So he's not denying the nas, but just going against some detail about its understanding then it can be downgraded from mukaffira to otherwise how about someone who makes tafdeel of Sayyidina Ali to Sayyidina Uthman khafifa bid'ah khafifa a certain group always refers to the meaning of bid'ah given by Imam al-Shaltabi al-Ghirnati what is this I can't remember what he said 
But this statement of Kullu bid'atin dalala No, it's It's kullu bid'at Mufassiqa Wa mukaffira Wa muharrama That's the meaning of it Are men allowed to get hair transplants? Yes, they are So is the permissibility of music a bid'at? The use of music Musical instruments For Islamic events is a bid'ah and there are only a few fatawa that said it is a bid'ah that is permissible such as Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti that's his fatwa that the background jingles that open up shows he considered that to be permitted right because it's not he didn't consider it that that's something that you listen to but it's part of TV or it's part of programming that's uh, the honorable Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti who said this and I know some people say some very bad things about him because of what he, his last positions in Syria. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I almost didn't even want to see what the details were about that between Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti and, um, and what happened in Syria and what people said about him for the reason that I actually used Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti's books in terms of as a the, he's the contemporary whose books I use more than anybody else I rely upon he to me almost like Suyuti and Nawawi in the sense of gathering summarizing and giving ex- modern explanations of, of of teachings the great Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti so I refuse to go that route of am I obligated to read about his political stances I'm not obligated Right? I take those books and I don't want to have any bad opinion about him afterwards. Right? And I just, I, uh, I can't imagine that he would disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not, it's not fathomable to me that he would do that. So whatever people disagree on must be an error from him, maximum. At maximum, an error. Not and in dalal, uh, and it's nothing in aqidah. It's a it's a position he took with people, right? It's a position he took between the ruler and the and the ruled. So his position, Sheikh Isam told me, from before this was no rebellion. That was his position as a scholar before this, before the Syrian uprising. Simple fact Tyrant is better than anarchy Now let's rewind a little bit Let's zoom out I mean Did he turn out to be right or wrong? At the end of the day Did he turn out to be right or wrong? This is sort of a harsh statement to make And, 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 I, and it's not Blaming the people who rebelled Because they also have their fiqh Just to be fair Right It's not His position on rebellion is wrong Is a strong opinion in fiqh it's, it wouldn't be right for us to say it's the only opinion, right? There are other opinions. Sheikh Muhammad Zayd Yaqubi was on the other side. But, and he has a very good opinion because this rule is not even a Muslim. Those Alawites of Syria are not Muslim. So that rebellion is different from the rebellions of other countries where the ruler is a, another, is a Sunni Muslim. The Alawites are not Muslims even. So there's even more room to rebel for Sheikh Muhammad Zayd Yaqubi's opinion to be sound and valid. He did turn out to be correct, right, at the end of the day, because it did turn out to be more harm than good, and the rebellion did not succeed. But that does not necessarily mean that we're disrespecting 
the efforts, the sacrifices of those who did try to do something good, such as Sheikh Yaqubi, and we pray that Allah that, that all those people get rewarded for it. And we um, uh, also we have to make sure that we're very sensitive to the people who suffered as a result of that, right? That there are fifty, what is it like twenty five, fifty percent of the countries out uh, in a diaspora. But I also have an, a, a trend, a, a uh, interpretation of that, which is that these people come with great lineages, and lineages matter in Islam from the aspect of the du'a of the elders in that lineage. Because Ibn Abbas says the du'a of a person for his offspring will last seven generations. Right? So that means if I make du'a, oh Allah, bring from my family uh, someone who will serve the ummah. It, that du'a will hover over your kids. If they, it may fall on one of them. If it doesn't, it will hover for the next generation. If it doesn't fall on any of them, it will hover for the next generation. So the du'a of people for their lineage and for their offspring. Doesn't everyone make du'a for their offspring? Right? Nobody says, oh Allah, help bless my kids. That's it. No, you bless my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Allah protects my kids from ever getting sicknesses or amputations. Okay? Or deformities or divorces. Or miseries or depression. And their kids. And not only do you have to make du'a for their spouses too. And my grandkids and my grandkids' spouses, and so on and so forth. Doesn't everyone make that dua? So you have massive salihin and awliya of, of Sham making dua for their family and lineage for generations. Now those lineages will go far and wide on the earth. And how many of those Syrians made dua for their kids to be salihin and awliya and ulama and fuqaha and dua? So now you have. So many of them in Turkey. So many of them in America. So many of them now in England. And that Nesab al-Shami is spread everywhere now. I believe that that's the actual spiritual wisdom behind the entire movement of all those Syrians outside of Syria. And Allah knows best. But that is definitely, I believe, one of the wisdoms. Not the wisdom, but one of the wisdoms. Permissibility of music is not a, uh, it's not an opinion of any of the four methods. And it's, it, it's in opinions that are not even secondary. They're opinions that are just mentioned, but they're not even like, uh, and when we say music, uh, it's the separation of instruments between the string instrument, the wind instrument, and the percussion. The Prophet ﷺ forbade all of instruments, then he made an exception for the percussion, then he heard the wind instrument, the flute, and he covered his ears, but he didn't say anything. So they said, makru. And then that leaves the um, prohibition on the string instruments. And everything synthetic follows what it sounds like. So that's the, your summary of the most lenient opinion that is mentioned. And it is the Shafi'i opinion. Uh, according to the Hadarima, they use that. The Hadarima the, means the people of Hadramaut. They use that opinion, right? They rely upon that opinion. And not only that, they rely upon the opinion that the wind instrument is permitted. And so uh, the percussion and the wind permitted for them. But n- I don't think any, anyone has said that the string is permitted. And there is one minority group that said the string is permitted if it leads to ishq al-ilahi. In other words, love of the Prophet and, and his messenger. 
But this, it just opens a wild door that can never be shut. Okay, it, it opens a wild door that can never be shut. Because I remember a brother used to hold that opinion. And then he's in the car listening to like Mariah Carey. And saying, well, but if you think of the Prophet wasallam, it moves your heart. So it, you open a door that can never be shut if you say that music is only based on how, why you're thinking about it or something like that, or why you're listening to it. You just, we just go by the sound itself and the instrument. Uh, Dino, the answer is yes, if he says something like, we will see him, but, and he interprets it uh, in some way, then that would be bid'ah khafif as well. What is the meaning of a sadic? A sadic is someone who travels a path. All right, so that's the end of uh, that discussion there. And we will, inshallah, open up with our subjects today, which is Babu Maja'a fi Sawmi Rasulillah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The chapter on the fasting of Sayyid al Kawnain, Sayyidina Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Haddathana Qutayba ibn Sa'id, Haddathana Hamad ibn Zayd, an Ayyub, an Abdullah ibn Shaqiq. قال سألت عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها عن صيام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم I asked Sayyid Aisha about the fasting of Sayyid Al-Kawnain the messenger peace be upon him she said كان يصوم حتى نقول قد صام he used to fast so much that we would say he's always fasting ويفتر حتى نقول قد أفتر and he would eat so much not fast so much. So not sorry, that's a mistake. Not eat so much, break his fast so much. Because eating so much he never did. Eating in one meal, a lot of food is something that the Prophet وسلم, has never reported that he did. And he never fasted a full month since he came to Medina except the month of Ramadan. However, there are other narrations that he would fast so much in Sha'ban okay, and Rajab as well. An Anas ibn Malikin annahu su'ila an sawmin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Kana yasumu min ash-shahri hatta nara an la yurida an yuftira minhu wa yuftira hatta nara an la yurida an yasuma minhu shay'a. So he would fast a lot, and then he would not fast a lot. Break his fast a lot. وَكُنْتَ لَا تَشَاءُ أَنْ تَرَاهُ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ مُصَلِّيًا إِلَّا رَأَيْتَهُ مُصَلِّيًا وَلَا نَائِمًا إِلَّا رَأَيْتَهُ نَائِمًا See how they translate that other one. About the sleeping. Okay. Anytime, every night, he would pray and sleep every night. Consistently, he would pray and sleep. But fasting, he would go a long time fasting a lot, and then he would go a long time not fasting. So the Prophet wasallam's fasting was different than his salah. His fasting was in spurts, and his salah was regular. When I'm by salah, I mean his tahajjud. Tahajjud, I'm telling you, I highly advise everybody to take it seriously and to realize that it's a gold mine. Mining for cryptocurrency. 
right? That's what uh, mining for Bitcoin, that's what uh, is out there now. You mine for Bitcoin, you may succeed and you may fail, right? But you mine, the, the, to hedge it is a gold mine and you'll never fail. وعن ابن عباس قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصوم حتى نقول ما يريد أن يفطر منه ويفطر حتى يفطر حتى نقول ما يريد أن يصوم وما صام شهرا كاملا منذ قدم المدينة إلا رمضان. This is similar hadith to what uh, Sayyid Aisha narrated. This is from Ibn Abbas. حتى uh, is a nasib, which means that if you follow حتى with فعل مضارع, you have to give it nasib. حتى نقول not حتى نقول حتى نقول and the fi'l mudara the present tense verb is with anaytu that which begins with alif nun ya or ta aqulu naqulu taqulu yaqulu but if you proceed it with a nasib like حتى then you have to finish it with a fatha حتى نقول حتى اقول حتى تقول حتى يقول وعن أم سلمة قالت ما رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصوم شهرين متتابعين إلا شعبان ورمضان. أم سلمة says I never saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم fast two straight months except شعبان ورمضان. ويحتمل وعن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها عن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم ويحتمل أن يكون أبو سلمة ابن عبد الرحمن قد روى هذا الحديث عن عائشة وأمي سلمة جميعا عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. Okay, just a comment on the previous transmission. And from Aisha, لم أرى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصوم في شهر أكثر من صيامه في شعبان. I've never seen the Prophet fast in a single month besides Ramadan uh, more than he would fast تطوع in شعبان. And he used to fast شعبان إلا قليل. He would fast Shaban except a little bit and sometimes the whole month of Shaban. So that is a sunnah, to fast the entire month of Shaban. Now, fasting on Jum'ah is permitted, by the way. Some people think it's forbidden. Now, I want to talk about something else. You notice here, Sayyidah Aisha, she says, I did not see the Prophet do this. I did not see the Prophet do that. That's a complete fact. But that's not the limit of what the Prophet did. That is definitely what the Prophet did, but it is not the limit of what he did because she did not see the Prophet all the time. Right? So she's, that's why in the previous hadith about tahajjud and nawafil and tarawih, Sayyidah Aisha says, I used to see the Prophet do this, and he never did that. That means she never saw him do that. For example, she never saw him fast, pray more than eight rakas of tahajjud. Did she see him when he was with Umm Salama? Did she see him when she, he was with Hafsa? So her statement stands without doubt as something true, but not the limitation, not the entirety of the truth. Okay, because she's only telling you what she saw. Okay, next. Again, same that he used to fast entirely of Shaban Ramadan. Another hadith states, كَانَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَسُومُ مِنْ غُرَّةِ كُلِّ شَهْرٍ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَّامٍ وَقَلَّ مَا كَانَ يُفْتِرُ يَوْمَ الْجُمُعَةِ He used to fast in the middle of every month. He used to fast three days. 
and Maddox disliked that it be assigned as the, the 14, 15, 16. He disliked that, but it's not forbidden for someone to fast that, but it is disliked that. And some say here in this hadith that he used to fast the beginning, the first three days, not the middle three days. Uh, the Shafi'iyah and in Tareem and Hadramaut, they emphasize the Siyam, uh, they emphasize the fasting of the 14th, 15th, and 16th of every month as the white days. And I'm telling you something that the Sunnah is, or as uh, in the Maliki school, is not to do taqsis in many things, la tukhassis, right? For example, tasbih. In ruku' and sujood, it's tasbih, la tukhassis. La tu'addid. Just make tasbih. Any tasbih. In sujood, any dua, any tasbih. Imam Malik did not like to limit something. Yet we go and we find the Shafi'iyah and Malik loved the Shafi'i. He honored him. Malik did not honor many people the way he honored the Shafi'i. Yet a Shafi'i, we see the opposite. We see him making taqsis. Say this three times. Do this. All right, these are the th- three days. And we see this in the Shafi'i school. How do we make sense of this? is that Malik wanted to preserve people to know the sunnah as it was. So he didn't like any of these taqsisat. Al-Shafi'i, however, right, or let me just say that the result of that Shafi'i opinion or that way of when you teach someone, say subhanahu rabbiyat out of three times, or the fasting of the three white days are 14, 15, 16, which is the, the full moon, the day before and the day after. That latter method is best for beginners. And that former method of Matic is best for the elders. And uh, I'll tell you why. is because the beginner, it's very hard for you to tell him do something without telling him exactly what to do. It's very hard to tell somebody who wants to become pious, fast, but whenever you want, right? It's very hard for them to do anything. They need specific targeted direction. That's what I find. But as life c- continues, you can't be too regimented in life. As life advances and life becomes difficult and, or there's a lot of stuff going on in life, it will become impossible to have strict routines in everything. Then the way of the Prophet ﷺ, the way of Madik, uh, or Madik's understanding of the Sunnah really takes on, you understand its merit at that point. Because when rigidity or systematic living becomes near impossible, that's what we need to rely on. We need to rely that we're not, we haven't left the path. That he fasts so much and then go many months without fasting. So uh, that's uh, the way I think you can bring those two concepts together. That you will see the Madik in specific and many other fuqaha, they do not like taqsis specifying specification of amounts times when to do what okay they don't like any of that they're just saying you that that telling you that you don't have to do that that's not the sunnah in other words you don't have to limit yourself then you find other fuqaha noble scholars they do specify why because they realize the beginner he needs to be taught he needs to be given targeted deeds what to do like someone who's beginning umrah People tell me all the time, hey, I'm going to Umrah for the first time. What do I do? So do a lot of ibadah, right? Uh, and I've told people that. Just, just do a lot of ibadah. 
There's no specific thing to do. But guess what they do? They'll go to somebody else. They don't know what a lot of ibadah is. They don't know what to do, right? So they need someone to literally give them a schedule. Day one, recite this. Day two, recite that. When you make into off, say that. When you, and they find that now I could do something. Like if someone tells me, eat healthy. I'm not into fitness. I'm not into nutrition. What does eat healthy mean? You literally have to tell me what not to eat. Don't eat sugar. Don't drink sugary drinks. Don't eat pasta. All right. Now I know what to do. But I also need you to tell me, is there an exception? Like, can I get a few days a year where I can indulge in these things so I don't psychologically, like, start to, it grows in your head. Psychologically, it grows in your head, right? And so it's the same thing with this, is that people need targeted behaviors, targeted actions. And that's why we find in the, the, path, the, the paths of tarbiyah, of suluk, they specify. This word in the morning. This fasting in this days. This uh, salawat and the prophet in this amount. Because they know that the person needs, they need to be told that. Right? Whereas when we look at the early uh, zuhad, they never had any of that. They were self-motivated. And they were also experts. They didn't need someone to tell them, do this, 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 and this. So that's the difference between these two philosophies on nawafil. And it's important to you to see this because you will see these two philosophies out there, right? And it's important to know the value of specifying, giving numbers, times, and dates for the action, and the value for leaving it and just saying, being general. And the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on Fridays. There's no harm in fasting on Fridays. What is haram is to do it out of mimicking the Jews. But by the way, they don't fast on Fridays. What do you, how is that mimicking the Jews when they don't fast on Fridays? Mimicking the Jews would be purposely not working on Fridays. Right? Purposely not working. And a person who says, oh, I want to take Friday off so I could enjoy Jummah, that's fine. Because enjoyment is not allowed on the Sabbath. In the sense that, hey, I want to be able to wake up, I want to be able to take my ghusl, I want to be able to recite Surah Al-Kaf, then go out to the masjid, then go out to lunch, whatever. I don't want to have to worry. That's all fine, because it's not the intent of imitating the Sabbath. Anyway, the Sabbath, the Jews did not have to do any of that until they were actually given Jummah. But they went to Sayyidina Musa and they said, no, we want Saturday. Why do they want Saturday? Because the people of Baal and Egypt, their day off was Saturday. So they wanted to imitate the non-believers. So Sayyidina Musa said, okay. And he spoke to Allah and he said, they want Saturday. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I'll give them Saturday, but they have to give me the whole day. Right? The whole day. So they said, yes, they agreed to it. They agreed without thinking, right? Can you handle the whole day? Sayyidina Musa went up to the mountain. For 40 days, you guys committed shirk, right? In that 40 days. Can you keep up tawheed? How are you going to do ibadah for one full day? So then Allah tested them on the Sabbath. He tested them. You can't make a claim without being tested. If Allah tells you to do something and you do it, He'll make it easy. But if... 
you claim something. I'm going to do this. Now you're going to be tested because you made the claim. So what did Allah do? He sent all the fish in front of them to jump up and make noise and be very big and clear and beautiful on Saturday. And they started to shake a little bit. Next week, more fish. And their hearts were like, I couldn't even think anymore. All right? And don't belittle this. I mean, you're out in the desert dying and, and can't find food and miserable. To have a roasted fish is wonderful. So, finally they came up, they started regretting their decision, but they don't want to say that they're regretting it. Yeah, they could have, by the way. They could have said, oh Moses, we repent. We were wrong. Let's go back to what Allah asked us. It was possible. But they doubled down. So what do they do? They come Friday night and put the net so that on Saturday it catches all the fish. And this is where their legal uh, schemes began. It began because you complicated, you put your ego involved. You got your ego involved. And you accepted deals you can't handle. If you had listened to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just accept it how he asked you to have Jum'ah. That's it. And you had accepted that, you wouldn't have any issues. But no, you got to involve your own nafs. And then you realize you can't do it. But instead of repenting and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I made a mistake. You think Allah's not going to accept your repentance? No, they doubled down on that too. Right? Now we're stuck with it. We don't want to apologize. So let's find a way around the law. So what do you end up with? You do this more than one time, five, six, seven times, on every matter you do this now, you have a religion that is just a bunch of... Uh, uh, what they call hair splitting or circumventing the law that is a, just a law and a way of doing things devoid of any spirit or any function of that law, right? Devoid of any function of that law. There's, there's some rule in, men, uh, in Judaism where you can't take things out of your house at a certain point. So you know what they do? They went to Manhattan, Manhattan, and they tied a fish string, a fish line, all across the Manhattan... And they had the rabbi declare, this is our house. So now you can do everything. So you have a religion that literally has all these laws and none of them. You can't see, like, what, what is it achieving, this law, right? Circumventing, circumventing, right? So um, this, this type of, 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 uh, of thing, uh, is in Muslim lawyers, Muslim scholars, fuqaha, they identify it right away. Where you're just like, circumventing something and it says, yes, you followed the letter of the law, but the, the, the goal of that law is completely suspended or unknown or nothing there. And a lot of our rules, not all of them, but a lot of our rulings, okay, this is actually very important, so pay attention to this. A lot of our rulings are ma'qul al-ma'na, that you can understand what they're preserving. So we know that the prohibition of alcohol is preserving intellect. We have a lot of things... Uh, uh, are that they're preserving intellect, religion, wealth, lineage, honor, right? Uh, life, we know that. But in every bab of fiqh, every subject matter uh, where there's law, that, that it is noted by the scholars that Allah also puts something that's ta'abudi. Ta'abudi means there's no reason. It's just to, to, to practice submission, right? So why is it that men can't dye their hair black? Right? Some people have said it's for ghish, right? For ghish. So that if you become old, 
right? And back in the old days, people didn't know when their birthday was. They didn't know how old they were. You probably, some of your grandparents didn't know how, they don't know how old they are. Nobody used to write this stuff down. But you would just know their age by their look. So that he has white hair, he dyes it black so that he can go propose to a woman. She thinks she's younger, so he's fooling her, right? Or he dyes it black because he doesn't want to look old, and in the process, people said, oh, he's a young man, let's marry him. So given that some people have considered that the wisdom, they have also extended that to like hair color. Because, and that's fine because the intent of fooling somebody is haram. So that a blonde person who goes white, his hair is going white, he can't dye his hair blonde. Because the intent of fooling somebody is, whatever you do is forbidden, to fool somebody. All right, to make them think you're a young guy when in fact you're old. Then she marries you, two years later you die, right? Two years later you get, you guys, right, get, uh, is on a wheelchair and she's a nurse all of a sudden, right? So all that stuff, that ghish. But you'll find things that are ta'abudi. Why can't a man wear silk? There's no reason for this, right? It's ta'abudi. To just to exercise your submission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every chapter of fiqh has something like that. To exercise your submission of Allah. So, uh, or submission to Allah. Alright, next hadith. كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَتَحَرَّ سَوْمَ الْإِثْنَيْنِ وَالْخَمِيسِ Now here we get some تَخْسِيسِ The Prophet ﷺ used to look out for Mondays and Thursdays. Now obviously, clearly from the other... So we just saw all the other hadiths, right? We just saw all the other hadiths. That sometimes he would fast a lot and not fast at all. Now, there were some times he would always fast Monday and Thursday. He, he would look out for Mondays and Thursdays to fast. Why? Because on Monday and Thursday, the deeds are sent up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a weekly report sent up twice a week to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَأُحِبُّ and يُعْرَضَ عَمَلِي وَأَنَا صَائِمُ عَرْضُ الْأَعْمَالِ is something uh, that, hap- that, that is mentioned on a daily and a weekly. Weekly, Monday and Thursday. On the daily, it is uh, a lesser art where angels shift at Fajr and at Asr. And that art is less. It's between the angels only. That the angels are, what did he do today? What is our subject? They're cha- they're, when you shift change, if a nurse comes in, takes from the nighttime shift, she's asking, well, what are the, what's, the, what's the report of the patients? All right, that one is okay. That one is code red. That person is, um, you know, leaving soon, etc. He gives them the update. So that's what the malaika do at Asr and at Fajr. Because malaika work uh, by prayer times. So Asr and Fajr is when they switch. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ loved to um, uh, be in a, uh, praying on time. Pray those, he prayed those prayers and he stayed in ibadah after Fajr so that when his deeds are being discussed, he's in ibadah. And he used to love to uh, do ibadah Qubayl al-Maghrib slightly before Maghrib for that reason also. وَكَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَصُومُ مِنَ الشَّهْرِ From the month he would fast Saturday, Sunday, Monday and another month he might fast Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday he could fast any day of the week some people have taken Monday and Thursday so serious 
they think you can't fast any other day. I guarantee you, go to someone today. Tell them you're fasting. They'll be like, why? They don't understand, right? I'm telling you, that's how it is. Tell, tell someone you're fasting. Oh, maybe he's fasting. Qada, right? <laughs> because it's not sunnah to fast today. Don't, you don't understand. Yes, the And the ummah has taken it, no doubt, as a great practice and a habit because it helps to know, to have something specific to shoot for. But, as Madik said, do not limit the sunnah of the Prophet Leave it expanded. Leave it open. All right. Many people get shocked when they heard that, wait, we don't have to say subhanahu rabbi al-ala three times. No, you don't. You can go into sujood and do any dhikrillah that you want. You can just go straight into dua. You've done nothing wrong. So the sunnah is more vast than people imagine it to be. But And the washing would do. They get shocked to hear that you don't have to do it three times. Uh, it's not good to be, a, to be unlearned in religion, right? It's not good to be unlearned in religion. Because in this case, you could say, okay, well, there's no harm, no foul, but you've limited something. But in other cases, people think you have to do everything three times, and they may do divorce three times. And by Ijma'i Sahaba, pronouncing divorce three times, grants you, it makes you a finalized divorce. Why? Because Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab announced it on the pulpit. From now on, everyone's doing this bid'ah of divorcing their wife three times. And I have now pronounced it that it is a final divorce. Ba'in. La raj'ata fi. The man cannot change his mind. Raj'a means the man changes his mind. So, divorce my wife. All right, raj'atuki. I, I, I can't, I nullify my divorce. I cancel it. So it counts as one divorce. But we're married now again. And I don't need a new contract, no nothing, as long as the idda hasn't passed. Everyone was doing this innovation in the time of the Sahaba, saying, I divorce you three times, because it's hurtful. Three times divorce, there's no marriage after that. Unless she marries another man, consummates that marriage with intercourse. Then divorces that man, and then marries you again. If she accepts, Right? with a new contract and a new dowry. So three times divorce is bad, and that's heavy. So the husbands were hurting the women by saying, well, I divorced you three times. Three times divorce. And then they would take her back or marry her again after her idda or do raja before her idda, take her back before her, her waiting period's over. And Sayyidina Omar said, this is a bid'ah, right? And he told people to stop. They kept doing it. Then he told people to stop again. On the third time, he got on the pulpit and he announced and he made it a policy to all his judges. Anybody who comes to you having uttered a talaq bithalatha, it's ba'in. And all the sahaba heard it, acted upon it as judges, if they were judges, and no one sahabi disagreed, therefore this ruling has ijma'u sahaba. And that's the ruling in all four madhabs. That a talaq bithalatha, ba'in. There's la rajasafi. And the from the latter scholars, the one who went against this ijma' was Ibn Taymiyyah. And the fatwa that goes against an ijma' is Ghir Mustawr. Because he went against the ijma'. Right? So and there's no situation changed. It's not like it's the context has differed, right? But now you think you see today Jahl Bid Deen 
is that people think and they imagine that you have to do divorce three times. You have to say it three times, right? This is just Jed. Why? Because everything, this poor kid, everything in his religion, he's been taught, say it three times. You make ruku'ah, say subhanahu rabbi al-adhim three times. Make sujood, say subhanahu rabbi al-adha three times. Make wudu, wash it three times. The poor guy thinks you got to do something to count in Islam, you have to do it three times. Then he divorces his wife, divorces it three times. And they say, oh, well, you got to give people excuses. They don't know. What do you mean they don't know? If you're going to get a job, aren't you going to study for the job? You want to be a doctor. You want to be an engineer. You want to be, honestly, if you want to be an Uber driver, you got to read the instructions of how to be an Uber driver. So you, so you can't come and tell me, I'm just a common Muslim. You, you may be a common Muslim, but you're not dumb. You're not insane. You went and you got, you went into this huge proposition called marriage. And you never even cracked the book open of fiqh to see how do I get out of this contract? You can't buy a house, buy a car, and not know how do I get into this contract and out of it. What do I owe and until when? Can I return this product or not? So you can't argue jahl in marriage, in sharia, in Islam. We don't consider jahl in marriage. There's no jahl in marriage. Everything that you do... Okay, when you got married, did you go to the mosque? Because some people say, like, yeah, but there are Muslims who are, let's say, for example, they barely practice their deen. Okay, but when you got married, did you get married in a church? In a synagogue? Or did you come to the mosque? And the man said, you marry her by the book of Allah and the son of his prophet. You didn't think? What does that entail? Why is it that when you came into the marriage, you went in through the Islamic way? So you understand this is a matter of deen. Right? If you were so ignorant that he married in the courts, just a civil court, we would tell him, you're three times divorced. It doesn't affect anything because you're not even married by Sharia. That's zina, right? But no, you came to the mosque. You said, oh, there's a dowry? What is that? And you paid it. And you did everything, right? By the rule of Allah. So, and by the way, when you got married, did you say, Marry me, marry me, marry me, right? Or did you just say it once, right? Did you, or it says, in the, in the Arabs, Arab way or the Shafi'i Madiki way, the father of the bride says, I have married you to my daughter. You say, Qabiltu, I accept. I have accepted, past tense. I have accepted the marriage of you. Did you say, Qabiltu, Qabiltu, Qabiltu? Right? You didn't say that. So, it's not accepted. This jahl, Spread it to all your friends so they don't get messed up in their marriages. Because I'm telling you, when people come to me and they say, I divorced my wife three times. I tell them, I don't have a fatwa for you. I know the imam down the road. Right? And I'm not saying specifically down the road. I'm saying generally. Generally, uh, that's, that's an expression. Other imams out there, they will rely upon the fatwa of Ibn Taymiyyah. And they will get you out of it. I won't get you out of it. I can't. I can't go against Ijma Sahaba and the entire Madiki, Hanafi and Shafi and Hanbali Madhabs. By the way, that's not even the Hanbali opinion. It's just Ibn Taymiyyah's fatwa. And you, as an Imam, speaking to the Imams, if they follow Ibn Taymiyyah's fatwa, that's between them and Allah. Right? That's between them and Allah. I'm not going to go and, 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 and write a paper against his fatwa. But you have a just small time. Fuqaha and Muqallids, 
they're going to go with the ijma of the madhab and the ijma of the sahaba. So I don't have an outlet for you. Find somebody else to give you an outlet. Okay? And they will find. They will peck and peck and peck until they find uh, what they're looking for. The mufti that will give them that. And that's between, that mufti is between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how it works. Much less that someone says, oh, but I was married. Uh, I was angry. That also isn't an excuse. Your emotions are an excuse. I was angry. I didn't know what I was saying. You didn't know what you were saying? Then why didn't you divorce the tree? Why didn't you marry the wall? But you specifically managed to put that word to that woman. So you didn't know what you were saying, right? Truly didn't know what I was saying. You wouldn't have pronounced. You wouldn't have put things together that have meaning. You would have divorced the wall, right? Or divorced the kitchen table. You wouldn't have specifically said that word to that woman, right? So that's also unacceptable. And so this is the concept that uh, really today's theme is on this issue of specification and how this, 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 um, the juhal of Muslims have imagined and come across that certain specifications are actually limitations. And that's the difference. They're not limitations at all. Right? Uh, on top of that, the tasbih in salah is from the fada'il. You can make ruku'ah and simply have in your heart khudu'ah lillah. Humility to Allah. Yakfi. You can make sujood and have nothing in your heart except humility for Allah, towards Allah. You've fulfilled your duty. Your salah is valid like that. And you don't even have to do sahu for that. So this uh, mentality of understanding when is it good to specify and when is it good to leave general. If you get a youth and a kid, you should specify because they don't know what to do. When you get a mature person whose life is so busy, you can't specify. Let them go the natural route of things. They'll figure things out their own selves and they're too busy for that. So the Prophet has given us both sunan here. This is what Madik goes by. أَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَمَ يَسُومُ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَّامٍ مِنْ كُلِّ شَهْرٍ The Prophet was asked, did the Prophet, uh, did the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم fast three days a month? قَالَتْ نَعَمْ Yes, he did. Which days? Mu'adha. Not Mu'adha bin Jabal, a woman named Mu'adha. She's one of the students of Sayyid Aish. Which days did he fast? Whatever days he wanted. كَانَ لَا يُبَارِي he did not mind whichever days he fasted. Right. Let's hear it. What if I divorce your clothes three times is a meaningless statement and he should be um, reprimanded for that if he says I divorce any part of the body then it counts as divorce. And those types of things, yeah, it was, is in cultures. It's in, cultures take on weird things, right? Like uh, in the Moroccan culture, they say, may Allah shorten your lifespan. In the Egyptian culture, may Allah destroy your household. They shouldn't say these things. What if it's Sa'at's Ijaba? Sa'at's Ijaba is not just dua that is answered. Anything is answered. Any, whether you're making fun of it, whether you're saying it in jest, saying it lightly or actually asking for it it's going to happen and they ask why Egypt is a mess that it is when you have 80 million people 
saying 10, 20 times a day, Allah It happens. There hits, enough people hit sa'at al ijaba. It happens. Don't you put two and two together? It is kharab. Destroyed. Right? Everything is destroyed. So uh, you can't say those things. And also, uh, expressions. I'm going to divorce my wife three times if you don't eat. It counts. Talaq, unlike other oaths, talaq is always legal. It's, it's, it's actionable. Always. Whereas oaths are not. I could say, uh, Wallahi, we're going to come over right now. Wallahi, I'm on the way. Right? Wallahi, I won't be late. It's just an expression. I don't owe three days of fasting. It's an expression. Right? You can know expression by the context of voice. But if someone says, Wallahi, if you don't eat this, I'm going to divorce my wife three times. It counts. Wallahi, if you don't come over, I'm divorcing her. And he doesn't come over, and he's not obligated to. He doesn't have to worry about your oath. You're divorced. So people have to really be, be, be mindful of this stuff. Maham says, my wife used to say, Jahannam Jao. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. So that's why people, uh, these expressions come up. And amongst that, I divorce your body. I divorce your feet, your feet whatever. Silly stuff like that. Allah Gasir Omrak. That's how they say it in Morocco. Allah Gasir Omrak. And that's not right to say at all. كان عاشوراء يوما تصومه قريش في الجاهلية. قريش used to fast عاشوراء, not knowing why they fasted. وكان صلى الله عليه وسلم يصومه. The Prophet also used to fast. Ashura. When he came to Medina, he also fasted Ashura. And he used to tell people to fast. He commanded everyone to fast it. Then when Ramadan became an obligation, Ramadan Ramadan became the obligation. Ashura and Ashura was left off, meaning as a nafila. Then it's a nafila. The greatest sunnah to fast is, of course, Yom Arafah, the ninth of the Hijjah, which is the day right before Eid. And Eid, of course, is haram to fast. It's haram to fast on both Eids. The only two, two days is haram to fast is on Eid. In general, okay, here, Did he specify days? What did she answer? She said he was consistent. Okay? And who of you can do what he did? Right? So, um, his consist- he had consistency, even though there was sporadic, it, it appeared sporadic to the Sahaba, but he was consistent. Two more hadiths until we go to the Q&A. Three more. دَخَلَ عَلَيَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمُ Says Sayyidah Aisha, وَعِنْدِي مْرَأَةً And I had a woman with me. He said, مَنْ هَذِهِ Who is this? I said, so-and-so. لَا تَنَامُ اللَّيْلِ She never sleeps at night. She does tahajjud all night. 
فقال صلى الله عليه وسلم عليكم من الأعمال ما تطيقون Do the deeds that you can handle فوالله لا يمل الله حتى تملوا For by Allah, Allah Ta'ala never gets bored by your behavior until you get bored What does get bored mean? Not send down the benefit And when is for Allah? That's what getting bored means for Allah What does getting bored mean for us? Means we've just become monotonous in this We've just become so monotonous And it's just a routine now And there's no ikhlas in it And that's what you have to fight against You have to fight against that in two ways Number one You have to not overburden yourself Until you start to hate the thing Your nafs will hate it Number two You have to fight your boredom And number three You should intersperse your ibadah With shay'an min uh, al-musamara That you should intersperse your ibadah With something of the evening relaxations And that's what the Prophet used to do Imam al-Haddad said so that you can come back and rebound strongly to the ibadah. And uh, Sayyidina was Abu Darda used to say, Kuntu a'malu shay'an min al-batil. I used to do something that was useless just to sharpen my sword as if to say. Right? He used to do, so like what? Just sit around, eat and chat. Right? Things that we would consider batil. Right? For us it may be playing sports. Maybe watching sports. Something halal. But not excessively, because the excess in that is aib on somebody. The, according to the ulama, excess of batil is a defect. Not in their deen, but in the defect in their like um, suluk. If they're someone ambitious in ibad and deen, then that's not something that someone should do. But a little bit of it is okay. And for youth, a little more is acceptable. For youth, a little bit more is acceptable. And also for the sick, there's more laxity for the sick. سَأَلْتُ وَأُمَّ سَلَمَةً A man by the name of Abu Salih asked Sayyid Aisha and asked Umm Salama, أَيُّ الْعَمَلِ كَانَ أَحَبَّ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلِهُ وَسَلَمُ What was the best deed in the sight of the Prophet? Like, what is the best deed? Right? They both said, مَا دِيمَ عَلَيْهُ وَإِنْقَلْ Whatever one someone was consistent with, even if it's a small amount. Last hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to say in his ruku'a, "Subhana dil jabaruti wal malakuti wal kibriyai wal adama, thumma sajda bi qadri ruku'ihi yaqulu fi sujudihi Subhana dil jabaruti wal malakuti wal kibriyai wal adama, thumma qara'a al imrana, thumma suratan suratan yafalu mithla dalik." So. Um, the Prophet ﷺ in his qiyam, he used to he prayed with Al Baqarah one time, right? And he would not uh, recite a verse except he would contemplate it. And then he would not uh, a, a, a verse of mercy, except that he would contemplate it and stop and make du'a for it. And he would not come upon a verse of punishment, except that he would seek refuge. He would stop and seek refuge from it. So you are allowed to make dua in the middle of the recitations. But it's silent, of course. And in his ruku'a, he would, he would make them long ruku'as. And from the things that he would say, Subhana dil jabaruti wal makuti wal kibriyai wal azama. So, I mean, that's something that most people have never even heard. You tell somebody that, the, do this, say this in the ruku'a, they'll think you're an innovator. I once taught in a uh, high school, and I taught 
Subuh Quddus Rabbuna wa Rabbul Malaikati wa Ruh. Right? And one student said, Oh, this is Christian stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's, it's, uh, sounded like something like another language to her. Because she had never heard the Arabic words put in that format. Subuh Quddus Rabbuna wa Rabbul Malaikati wa Ruh. Right? So, um, because it literally says Subuh Quddus is one of. Uh, Praise, sanctity, Lord of the angels and the spirit. So this is like, what is the spirit? Holy Spirit, right? So, um, what was the meaning of the one that the Salah Salah Let's give you the translation of that. The translation of Subhana al Jabaruti wal Malakuti wal Kibriyai wal Alama. Glory be to the Lord of uh, this dominion, uh, the Jabarut, might. And then the heavenly dominion, majesty and magnificence. So this is the mulk, the heavens is the malakut, and then some say jabrut is just might, but others say jabrut is a higher level. And then there's something called lahut, that these are the names of the heavenly realms, and Allah knows best about that. All right, let's see what we got. Strangest. What is strangest? This question. What to do when you're tired in all aspects of life? I guess there is no cure better than good sleep. If you're tired, but sometimes people can't sleep. Sometimes people's work grinds them so badly they cannot ever get any rest. So... um, tough situation there and I don't I, I I think that if a, a person um, gets to a certain level they're going to get sick and you're going to get the flu and the flu could be a blessing right you just sleep and just uh, recharge yourself and Allah knows best about, about her specific situation what's that uh, if you like binge on water and greens, right? Water and greens, like salads, fruits, and water. And you take a lot of greens and a lot of salad and fruits and water. You're going to find, and you sleep early. These are ways to recharge your body. And I think that the body and the soul are connected. It's very hard to recharge your body and not feel it in your soul, right? right? In your mind, whatever you want to say, but however you want to put it. But, but the physical recharges of the body are by sleep and water, right? And if you take a lot of greens, you clean out your system completely. Oats also cleans out your system. Um, exercise, walking. When, when I say exercise, the, like long walks is the best. Right, you totally clear out your system. And some people say mood is born in the gut, and that if your mood's off, then exi- don't just take it mentally. Examine your gut, and your gut could be just like it's filled with gunk. So oats and vegetables and tons of water and coffee and walking, because coffee is a diuretic. It'll flush everything out. All that stuff helps just uh, empty everything out. 
So these are all some basic practices for general solutions for general maladies, general remedies for general maladies. But they're the best, honestly. These are the best. There's no doubt about that. Getting a lot of sun, getting a lot of uh, sleeping early changes your life. How can you undo the effects of realization of statements or du'as that are adverse by making du'a? You can nullify a du'a with a du'a. And whichever du'a is stronger will overtake it. Before we go on to the question and answer, today, tonight, we got, Tuesday's my day for Arcview. Yesterday was Imran Ahmed. Today, I begin with Matnul Ashmawiyah, the first text to be studied in Maliki Fiqh. And I will teach that, inshallah, it's by Sheikh Al Ashmawi. He lived around the time of Siyuti in Egypt. Uh, Maliki Fiqh is, starts off with three preparatory texts. Ashmawiyah by an Egyptian. Akhdari and Ibn Ashir by Moroccans. And so I will be teaching this starting right after Salat al-Maghrib. 7.30 to 8.15. Just a 45 minute lesson. Uh, I put the text up on Zoom. And you all uh, listen. And we have interaction. You can talk and ask your questions on the topic, though. And we take lesson by lesson, and they're recorded. After that, I will be studying, or teaching, and reading from Nawi's Sharh on Sahih Muslim. You can join all this by going to arcview.org. Now, you notice the fifth class is preparatory. So it's on Arcview Basic. This class has prerequisites and it's for more advanced students because we read directly from the Arabic and the Sharh of Nawawi on Muslim, it has a lot of uh, technical things, all right? Uh, so it's part of Arcview Plus. And you notice that I put all the Hadith classes are these roundels and the reason I did that was it symbolizes that the one statement of the Prophet, you can extract so many wisdoms from it right so it's also one of the unique features of islamic art these these types of things the muslims they, they drew a lot of these types of round things that expanded from the middle and that's a reflection of our cosmology we believe everything expands from the command of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from one dot this entire universe expanded out of it kun fayakun so uh, sign up for arcview.org. When you sign up for these classes, you get more than 40 pre-recorded classes for the first time and maybe the first institution in America at all. We are offering all four madhabs at the same time. Hanafis on Monday, in order. Hanafis on Monday, Madikis on Tuesday, Shafi'i Fiqh on Wednesday, Hanbali Fiqh on Thursday. If someone says, what about general fiqh? General fiqh doesn't exist. There is no such thing as general fiqh, right? There, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. They're literally just, there's no such thing, right? When we teach kids, when we teach kids, I don't 
specify a name of a madhab, but but it is Hala Amr is our teacher of fiqh for for youth. Youth, all youth. And a lot of the moms take her class too. Uh, she teach it is Maliki fiqh. Right? It is Maliki fiqh. But we don't specify that because we don't teach the concept of madhahib to kids. It's useless to do that. Right? Maham attended Hanafi fiqh yesterday and she had rave reviews about it. Not that we take reviews from students, but we do take feedback on the way that the material is presented, right? And that is what matters, right? The, the way it's presented, the pace of the class, the clarity of the audio, right? All that's important. The clarity of the screen, all that's very important. And he's a very competent um, scholar from Long Island, New York. Our, our Hanbali fiqh teacher on Thursday, he's from England. So that class is going to be a bit early. It's at 6 o'clock. And tomorrow is Sheikh Usama's day. Tomorrow is Shafi'i fiqh. And the advanced class is Jawharat al-Tawheed in Aqidah. This is one of the best books in Aqidah. The greatest works of Aqidah. It's Jawharat al-Tawheed by Ibrahim al-Laqqani of Egypt. Is it, uh, now let's go to our Q&A. What's the best way to learn the sunnah of the Prophet and teach it to students? I would say by finding the tactile sunan. Tactile sunan means the sunan that are physical. The sunan that can be done with the body or touched like the miswak, for example. Or sleeping on the right side. Or chest facing the qibla so you find out where's the general qibla in a room generally it doesn't have to be like direct but generally that qibla you have some wiggle room and you face your bed to, in such a way that you sleep on your right with your chest facing the qibla so that's the sunnah because the younger people are the more physical the thing needs to be and that's why many youth they get into extremist religious groups or they get into the externals of religion. They're more impressed by a religious group if it says you have to wear this, right? You got, oh, this sheikh has got a big beard and a big turban. They're mesmerized by this. I was, so I can't blame them, right? And luckily I was mesmerized by the right people, by the way, right? Oh, like, living out in the desert, turban this big. You should see some of these Mauritanian turbans. <laughs> right? Never touched a razor to his face in his life. And that's the truth about many people, except for his mustache. Right? So the physical, it gets your attention more when you're young. As a person grows older, they start focusing on the meaning of things. And they start understanding the depth is more important. Like the depth of your intentions, your purity of your heart, your, your attention. Where is your attention, right? That it's more important. Or the accuracy of this person as a teacher is more important, right? So he can be, have all those physical, but he's, he's not the most accurate in what he teaches, right? Or he's not analytical in what he teaches, 
So you start to not, we don't deny the importance of the physical at all, but it's, we don't limit ourselves to it either. So with kids, it's the tactile sunan, right? That's why kids, they can get a great interest in the Quran and never once ask you the meaning, right? They will love the sounds of it, but they might not ever ask about the meaning or, or, or even contemplate it, right? And so they'll listen to a reciter, mimic the reciter, right? And go on and on like that. So um, I would say for kids, it's everything that is a story or everything that's tactile, that can be touched. Is it haram to work in a court? No, but it is only haram to do or be part of something that is forbidden in the court, uh, in the sharia, that the court will do. Tomorrow is the last Wednesday of Safar. Are there any recommended ibadat? Not that I know of. Wednesday, of course. Every Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, Sa'at I think There was something? Can you read it out to us? I do bodybuilding. How do you make intention so my workout becomes a blessing for me and turn that time into good deeds? I think that you just make the intention. Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. That is an intention, by the way. Did not the Messenger of Allah say, Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. And people buy nice shoes, nice cars, but don't they, don't they have to spend time working on that for that money? So you spend time working for something else, right? Uh, so I, don't, I think that uh, just Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. And as long as a person has a mature mind and doesn't think ill of those who are not in shape or think himself to be better or uh, miss out on more important things in life, then that's it. Batul says, how do we reconcile the hadith about the comparison between man's lifespan and his hopes and the fact that one should hope that Allah will fulfill his dreams Um, that hadith does not is not saying not to have hopes especially if your hope is in a dua is in, leads to supplication it simply says that life is short uh, or life is going to end so as long as as a, pers- as a person also remembers death and its imminence as much as they remember their hopes and their desires, uh, that's really what's called for. And it's not that a person will have no hopes in this life. Because you can't live like that. You just decay if you have no ambitions in life. Go ahead. So this is from awasala.org. Many of the pious state that on the last Wednesday of the month of Safar, Allah sends down the trials and tribulations that will occur throughout the next year. These trials and tribulations are spread out accordingly and apportioned to specific people. 
The pious thus recommend making certain supplications and performing certain devotional acts, seeking Allah's mercy and gentleness during this time to avoid being apportioned any trial or tribulation. They recommend praying for raka'ah between sunrise and midday with the intention of salat al-duha. In each of the four raka'ah, one should recite Surah al-Fatiha, followed by Kawthar 17 times, Ikhlas 5 times, Falaq once, Nas once. And then there's a du'a, a long du'a. Okay, the summary though, the usul of it is, th- there is no source given, it's Aydman Mukashifa, right? So what Ryan just read is, that for based upon Aydman Mukashifa. And Mukashifa for us, we do believe, hold that Mukashifa is a real thing. And in this case, some of the awliya, they had a Mukashifa that balak for the year comes down on the last Wednesday of Safar. That is their mukashafa. It, it is not a nas of the Quran or Hadith or anything like that. So it is for those, that is only for those people who know and believe that shaykh. Right? Whoever the source of that mukashafa. What is the adab of ilm al-mukashafa? It is only something applicable all right, to someone who believes that shaykh. Someone who holds that shaykh as uh, trustworthy. So that's why you won't see those things preached in the public sphere. Because people may not believe in that, sh- that sheikh. They don't even know him. How can they believe him? So, um, can we give salawat on the Prophet in sujood? It's, it's not uh, forbidden to do that, nor makru. Yes, you can do that. You can give salawat on the Prophet in sujood. Some Muslims pass thirst comments on the same gender photos as if it was the opposite gender. This has to be haram. It's imitating homosexuality. Of course it is. Right? Showing that you have a sexual desire for another guy with an emoji or something. It's nothing wrong that you say someone is handsome. But whatever those emojis that he's talking about, I don't know what a thirst comment is per se. This is a thing. You know this? It just sounds funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like when they post a picture, like someone put like hard eyes under their comments, <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that. That that would be sinful for us to do. Basically, in other words, um, reflecting a sexual desire for another guy. It would even be haram for you to do that for your wife's picture in public. It's not appropriate. Right? <laughs> if, if a Muslim couple did that to each other on a public you know, uh, platform that wouldn't be acceptable from the adab standpoint. We can offer hajj and charity on behalf of the dead, yes, if they died as a Muslim. Is there anything in the sunnah with regards to offering prayers and fasting for their behalf? La. Only al-ibadat al-maliyah. What can you give to the dead and do it on behalf of the dead? The acts of worship that are maliyah. This is the Maliki Madhab. Hajj, sadaqah, for example, is ibadah maliyah. Hajj is what? Half physical and half financial. Maliyah means financial. So the Prophet affirmed for a sahabi, his name was Sa'd, to give sadaqah on behalf of his dead mother. Because he used to say, what a shame, my every... Uh, season, my mother used to give baskets 
of grain to the poor. And now she died, so she can't get the reward anymore. The Prophet Sallallahu said, you can give it on her behalf. He said, oh. He said, okay, this is my zakah of my harvest. And this is with the intention of the reward. This is the sadaqah of Umm Sa'ad. The reward going to her. Right? So, that's uh, the example. So, financial ibadat only. Even Imam Malik himself did not believe in hibat al-thawab of Qur'an. That you could recite Qur'an and the reward goes to the person. He said, I don't know if it goes to them. He didn't know. Because there was no nas for that. There is a nas for the zakat, or the sadaqah, I mean. But there was no nas for that. As Shafi'i came and he said, yes, it can. Why? Min jumlat al-du'a. It's from du'a, right? It's, it's akin to du'a. Why? Because du'a is just with your mouth. Oh, Allah, have mercy upon this person. And it goes. Therefore, the, the things that you say with your mouth, can go, the reward can go to that person. And so, Sheikh Salih al-Jafari was a Maliki. And he was one of the big shuyukh of Azhar in the 70s. And somebody said to him, we see that you are sending thawab surat al-Fatiha to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam after your durus, after your classes. But this is not the position in the Maliki madhab. So he said, I'm Shafi'i on this issue. <laughs> so, um, but there, I don't think any of them say nawafil. Maybe I don't want to speak for the Hanafites, but definitely not in the Maliki method. It's sadaqa, hajj, umrah, but, uh, and if we take from the Shafi'i opinion, Tilawat al-Qur'an, hibat al-thawab, isal al-thawab, that the reward reaches them, and dua. So you take sadaqah for the Sadaqah? Yeah. You give sadaqah and you intend the reward to go just to anybody you want. Yeah. The reward of that good deed. Uh, could you open the YouTube channel on your phone? Because my phone just died. All right, right. read me the YouTube questions. Why do we use the pronoun he for Allah? Who? Because he used it for himself. Why do we say for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he? Because he used it for himself. Yeah. So, um, you know this uh, politician Rashida Tlaib? Um, I never actually tweeted or commented to a politician ever before. But this time I couldn't resist myself, right? Uh, she said, Allah to me is she. Right? She. She refers to Allah as she. Right? And so I repeated, hold on a second. Um, aren't we all about how people identify themselves? He identified himself as who? And he, we are supposed to be woke and everything and use the pronouns that you choose. If Habib suddenly wants me to call him Z, I have to refer to him when he's not here as Z, right? Uh, isn't that what all these woke progressives are preaching so then apply that to yourself and Allah he uses he huwa and by the way huwa is beyond just the male because we know that Allah Ta'ala neither male nor female applies to Allah Ta'ala he's transcendent beyond that so huwa is uh, it is a 
word in the Arabic language that can even transcends that. Right? So, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take one more question, and that is Does sins cancel good deeds and ibadah? Yes, it is like putting a fire to a beautiful, beautifully made wooden house. Or like throwing sand on a cake. It does destroy ibadat. That's called habtul a'mal. Habitat a'maluhum. They have nullified their deeds. And with that, we will stop. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all of our uh, ibadah. Uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this halaqa. And let us be consistent on giving this al amma to the Muslims until the day that we die and we live and die upon al-ibadah wa-du'a wa-ijabat al-du'a wa-sa'adah wa-qurrat al-ayn wa-sadaqa wa-l-ikhlas lillahi wa-lil-muslimin wa-tahajjud wa-dhikr wa-salaa ala al-rasul wa-hubb al-masakeen wa-bughd al-zalimeen wa-bughd al-fasiqeen وكره المعتدين على الأمة الإسلامية على الله ورسوله وعلى المسلمين والمنافقين We ask Allah Ta'ala to let us live and die upon the love of the poor, the love of the scholars, the love of the awliya, love of deen and also the hatred of traitors and hypocrites and, and enemies of the message of Islam and enemies of the Muslim Ummah and traitors within the Muslim Ummah and let us always be away from them we ask Allah Ta'ala, Allahumma ajirna min mudillatil fitan. Oh Allah, protect us from the fitan that lead people astray. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.